Let's get to the phone lines, and James is up first. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? You know, it's just a beautiful day out there. I'm sure you've been out and, and noticed that yourself. It's going to be a really nice February Sunday. Man, it looks great out there. We uh, heard you talking about below zero. The only thing below zero over here in this part of the country is my banking account. <laughs> <laughs> been there done that <laughs> yes thinking, sir um I, i'm glad february only comes once a year but i was thinking about old bob and he's probably wanting it to come uh at least 12 times a year you guys are probably pretty busy starting starting to get busier i i guess if there's one good thing about february it's a very short month we've got that extra day stuck in there this year but uh uh, <laughs> at least, at least we're, we're getting closer to March every day. I, I truly don't know where the first uh, month and a half of 2019 went. It has just flown by. And of course I've spent some of it on the road, but, uh, it's just, it's that exciting time of the year and it's so much fun. And I'm sure you see this same thing with, uh, your students and, uh, the people that you come in contact with, but people are so excited about their gardens, about their yards. And, uh, it's just, you know, spring is, is I guess our most optimistic time of the year. And I just, I, I feel that myself, but I love seeing it in all the people that come through our place. Oh, it's great. Yeah, don't you know? Uh, guess who's got carrots coming up, Bob? <laughs> Good for you. Mine, mine aren't up yet, but they're on the way, and I did get some of my tomato seed planted. I'm going to have to get together with you sometime in a few weeks because uh, I've got a new tomato seed. It's not something that's on the market, but I'd like to give you a few plants of it to try. It's a uh, hybrid that was developed by... Uh, a friend, I would say an old friend, but he might take that personally, but a, a friend of many years, shall we say, that uh, uh, it's just one of the most productive, tasty, good tomatoes uh, I've ever seen. He happens to be an extraordinarily competent surgeon himself, but uh, uh, forget the opportunity. I'd love to share a few transplants for you to stick out and see if you like it as well as I do. Yeah, the more the merrier out there. Amen. Bed. Uh Hey, I've got uh, three raised beds up there by the house that uh, sometimes I don't keep them composted uh, and, and you know, going real good. And I have to put, uh, mix up uh, that molasses I get from Skyler yeah. in the two-gallon watering cans. Uh, I came across a product. It's called the Easy Flow Fertilizer uh, Injector. Uh-huh. It's just uh, looks like a pump-up sprayer that you put the molasses in, right? And hook up the hose to it, and it gives you either a high feed or a low feed. Yes. And I've been I've been using it uh, for those raised beds because that's where the fire ants wanna really want to hang out. And right. I've been having real good luck with it. And it just it's interesting, and uh, that that the molasses doesn't kill them, but it sure seems to move them out. And you and I were both students of Malcolm Beck, and I, I love what Malcolm used to say is that uh, you've got to give them a place to go. You can't just use your molasses everywhere. But he said if you use your molasses and the, the ants have somewhere to move to, they'll move off and leave you alone. And uh, I guess that's what you're seeing in those raised beds. Yeah, there's about 20 acres out there for them to move on to. Uh, <laughs> it worked a little bit better. Uh, if you keep those beds composted, yeah, then add the molasses on every watering. But that easy flow is working real good for me. 
uh, as the molasses uh, comes out of the fertilizer injector, water is mixed with it, mm-hmm. so it can't go anaerobic or anything like that. And you don't have any problem. Um, I've, I've seen the Easy Flow. I haven't used one yet. In fact, I think that's what some of the sprinkler system companies, you know, yeah. install. Of course, they have to have a backflow preventer if it's on your in your general water supply. At least you probably should. But uh, not every injector will take uh, the molasses. But uh, the Easy Flow is working well for you. That's that molasses I'm getting from Skyler. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's, uh, kind of a lightweight feed grade molasses right and uh just fine bob ah that's well i may have to to look into uh acquiring one of those because i'm uh you know i'm i'm looking at all sorts of new things for that new greenhouse i built and just gradually acquiring the things starting to starting to get a bunch of plants in there now like i said i've got tomato seed in and uh hopefully be up germinated pretty soon but uh other things um are you seeing other benefits i mean the molasses is great for running the fire ants off but do you feel like that's doing other good things to improve the soil do you feel like your plants in those beds uh, are doing really well i transplant the uh, uh, leeks and uh, multiplying onions around december into one of the beds and they're just as grow growing and green as you can get man yeah. they, they, everything does does well in them beds if, if you'll compost them and then maybe add a little bit of that molasses every time you water and how much molasses are you adding, uh, uh, if you broke it down to how much per gallon uh, are you putting on with that Easy Flow? I knew you were going to ask me that. Uh, <laughs> it holds two gallons of molasses, and it's got a low and a high. Okay. Uh, low is 100 gallons will empty the tank. No, the, one's 100 gallons and one's 1,000 gallons. Okay. So, and are you using the hundred gallon or the thousand gallon mix? I think I'm using the hundred gallon mix. Okay, it, you can see it if you if you put it in a five gallon bucket. You can you can see the color. So you're in effect you're using one gallon of molasses per fifty gallons of water. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's a, that's pretty that's pretty strong. I, I'm glad to know that you're getting the good results without seeing any negatives because. Uh, it's it's always a question of how much can you kick up that microbial activity without causing problems. And that's the whole reason that uh, we can also use that molasses to kill the nutsedge as long as the soil's not too wet. But, um, I, you know, I'll have to sit down and do a little math. I, <laughs> I, I can't do it all in my head when I'm thinking about six other things at the same time. But... Uh, um, yeah, that I'm, I'm guessing that's going to come out somewhere a couple of tablespoons per gallon, and that that sounds about like what I would have uh, what I would have forecast. And uh, no, it's a really good thing to know. I'm, I'm sure I appreciate you sharing it with us. There's a lot of these uh, uh, backyard gardeners that have like a four by eight foot raised bed, and sometimes the moisture, you know, gets down low, mm-hmm. and the fire ants love to move in there. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. And that's where the molasses really comes in handy. Well, it's it's good for moving the fire ants out, but it also, um, 
and it's a thing that it's it's hard to convince people of until they've tried it uh, that when we want to add organic material to the soil everybody thinks about compost everybody thinks about manures and things like that but the the things that contribute the greatest amount of organic material and also do the best to build good soil structure are those microbes are those bacteria and that's that's the other great benefit of the molasses, and that's why it's worked so well on acreage where people are trying to add organic material to the soil. And it's hard to believe that something that you can't see is actually your biggest soil builder. But uh, I think it's been pretty well demonstrated by the quantity of organic material generated that it's the bacteria that do the best job. They produce that material they call sticky substance that uh, builds the crumb structure of the soil, which is what keeps your oxygen uh, and your water penetrating the soil and staying in the soil. So I just I'm a big believer in molasses, and uh, but it's it's doing a whole lot more than just running the fire ants off, and uh, I, it's something I think we you know we we can't say too often. I think that people need to realize what a great great tool it is. Now, um, I, I I always question is it number one is it possible to overuse it, and number two, do we get to the point of where the uh, of of where we're not getting as much return, we're getting decreasing returns as we go above a certain point on acreage. I think we found that. You know, five gallons an acre gives real good results. Ten gallons per acre does not do twice as much good. Once you get up to a certain point, that's about all the good you're going to do. It'd be interesting to perhaps uh, take one of those experimental beds and uh, try your molasses at a uh, you know a little bit more dilute concentration and see if you still get the same results. It's cheap enough that you can you know put it out there two gallons at a time and it really is not costing you very much. But it'd be interesting to know if we can get uh, good returns even if we don't use quite that much of it. Yeah, let me do a couple of seasons and see what blows up, and maybe I'll have some more information for you. Hey, you just, I'm looking for your first book. Oh, yeah, well, okay. okay, we'll have first videos or have some videos first, but uh, you need to be writing all this stuff down, James. You're one of the smartest guys I know, and you're uh, kind enough to share things as you learn them. So it's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for taking my call, Bob. You know, it's a pleasure. You have a great Sunday, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks. All right. Okay. Bye. All right. David's up next. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, it's just a great morning out there. It's uh, spring's in the air. You know, I'm going to be in the 30s up in the hill country tonight, but man, these beautiful afternoons, uh, it's it's just fine by me. I hit 84, almost 85 in Utopia yesterday. Wow. I'm headed back to Pasadena now, but I'm having a problem there. What's going on? Dollar Week keeps popping up in the St. Augustine. Uh-huh. I've been knocking it down with the vinegar, doing an outstanding job, but it keeps coming back. Okay. I need to have something that's more systemic, and the next problem is I'm already starting to get green blades of uh, St. Augustine, which means I probably won't be using the vinegar anymore. Right. Got any suggestions? And it is Dollar Week. It's not Dichondra. It is. It is dollar wheat, as far as I can tell. Is is it a over the phone? Is it is is it a slick, waxy leaf, or is it a fairly thin, tender leaf? Uh, fairly thin, tender. Okay, that's going to be dichondra. That's not dollar weed. And you know what? 
what we need, we need two things to control that. Number one, we need some dry weather. And okay. we can't control that and looking, you know, out as far as my forecast goes and uh, and what my meteorologist friend that I trust, who's, he, he, I mean, he gets paid to be right is what I always say about him, works for an environmental services company. We are likely to have this ongoing, drizzly, wet weather. And so dichondra, as well as dollarweed, are going to continue to be an issue until it warms up to the point that our basic grasses are St. Augustine's and Bermuda's can really take off and start growing. So it's not anything you're failing to do, and it's not a problem that you're causing. It's just that we've got the right weather conditions for dichondra and dollarweed to grow well, and our turf grasses haven't really kicked into gear yet. Now, given depending on what the weather does, given four to six weeks for your St. Augustine to really start making its spring growth, it's going to choke this back um, without any issue and is, you know, as hard as it may be to accept, my advice is just mow it and live with it because the dichondra is going to go away as soon as it starts getting hot and dry. And uh, the St. Augustine is going to take off. It, how soon that happens is going to depend on how warm it stays. But um, anything that we put on, and there are a jillion different toxic herbicides to put out there, uh, if you did two patches, if you went out to Home Depot or whatever and bought some of the Scott stuff and dumped on it and you left a patch next to it, I can pretty much promise you in two months they would look about the same because there is no herbicide. They call them selective, and they say, well, it just kills the weeds but not the grass, and that's true, but it doesn't mean it doesn't set the grass back. And the stuff that we use to kill broadleaf things like dichondra, it's very hard on trees and shrubs and other roots. So I know it's not what you want to hear, but, you know, I'd fertilize, I'd mow, um, and certainly don't supplement the water. Mother Nature is doing plenty of that for us right now. And uh, six weeks from now, your St. Augustine is going to nominate to the point that you're hardly going to notice the dichondra. The problem we have this time of year is just the, the weeds grow faster than the grass. But within the next 30 days, for sure, that's going to turn around completely. Well, I'm going to put down another dose of my organic fertilizer uh, probably tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to take your advice on that. But, boy, after sitting under two feet of Harvey water and then all that <laughs> rain we had in the Houston area, yeah. it, I've never seen anything like this before, the weeds. Well, uh, it's it, amazing what happened. It, it truly is. And, you know, from the land's perspective, it's not a bad thing. Mother Nature loves anything green out there to sequester carbon, to put roots down into the soil, to help open it up. Because the biggest damage that came from Harvey's rains was just driving the oxygen out of the soil. And that's why our permanent plants uh, have not fared so well. And yet these weedy things that come in and do all their growing in about a 10-week period in the spring, they're just absolutely flourishing and the Scots people and all the people that sell the herbicides are just absolutely loving it. But uh, the truth is, Mother Nature is going to bring things back into balance in the not-too-distant future. So, you know, hang in there, and you're not a failure because you have a few weeds growing. Uh, that's what Mother Nature wants to see. She wants green things out there holding the soil in place. You just need to do what you can to keep them in check until your St. Augustine takes over. But uh, let's talk again in six weeks, and I'll bet things are looking a lot lot different for you thanks a lot bob you have a great day you do the same david 
Always good to hear from you. Thank you, sir. Bye. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Going to be Ophelia, Lou, Bill, and one line open. Grab it if you like. Good morning, Ophelia. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a problem. Well, I, I, I have a granite tree. Okay. The, the first, let's see, when I first planted, it was from a cutting. Uh-huh. And that I made my, my palm granite. And... It did bloom, and I had about five about five fruits. But lately, it has bloomed and no fruits. And so it's and it's out in full sun. Yes. Uh huh. Do you know on the tree that you took it from, that you took your cutting from, does it make lots of fruit every year? It did when I was young. Okay. Because it was in my mother's house. Okay. Um, because a lot of pomegranates out there are what we call ornamental varieties. They're ones that were really produced for their flowers uh, rather than for their fruit. And uh, it's very common with those to have lots of flowers and just a few fruit produced. So part of me wonders if this is not a tree that was really... Um, and you know, I think about my aunt and uncle had one in their yard and I used to think, oh, how wonderful, because we would get some pomegranates from it. But looking back, we get a pomegranate here, a pomegranate there. And we thought that was really good. But then when I planted the varieties that are really grown for fruit production, I get about 25 times as much fruit from them. So what I will tell you is the one thing that you can do that has the potential to help you get more fruit is to put a fertilizer that's made for flowering plants around it, Rose Glow or, you know, one of the Ladybug, not Ladybug, but the Fox Farm products that's made for flowering plants. And if your pomegranate is a cutting from a variety that is that was designed, that was bred, that was hybridized to produce fruit, a flowering plant fertilizer will greatly increase the amount of fruit that you will get. But, you know, part of me thinks that this may be more of an ornamental pomegranate than a really productive one. And I'm going to tell you, if you really, if you really want to have a lot of pomegranates, uh, go to a good nursery and buy, there's a variety, it's an old-fashioned variety, but it's still one of the most productive ones out there, a variety that is called Wonderful. And that pomegranate will load you up with fruit every year. In the meantime, like I say, use a, a flower-producing fertilizer like Rose Glow or, or um, Fox Farms uh, and their Happy Frog line. They make a bunch of different organic fertilizers for flowering plants. And if anything will help your pomegranate make more fruit, that's what will do it. Well, I remember we got a lot of fruit when I was growing up. Uh-huh. And that tree lasted. That tree just lasted, oh, well, for a long time. I oh, don't yep. know what happened now, you know, but, uh, and we had a lot of peaches. My mother had a lot of peaches there. Mm-hmm. 
and they were the best peaches I ever had. <laughs> oh, I know. I I have many of the same memories growing up. And pomegranates, peach trees don't normally live more than 10 or 15 years, but pomegranates can live 30, 40, 50 years. But you try your flowering plant food and see if that doesn't produce more pomegranates for you. And if you really like pomegranates, uh, pick up pick up a tree of one that we know produces real well, and that's going to be this one called Wonderful. There's some fancy new hybrids out there, but, man, it's hard to beat the old Wonderful pomegranate for heavy production. And it's a medium-sized fruit. It doesn't make the giant fruit that Ambrosia and some of the newer varieties do, but it's a real good producer. But start off by getting some uh, organic fertilizer made specifically for flowering plants and see if that didn't increase the amount of the number of pomegranates you get off your off your plant that came from your mom's. Okay, well, thank you so much. It's always I'll a pleasure. <laughs> you let me know how it works out. It'll be a few months before we know, but uh, it'll sure give you a beautiful bush and sure should give you a lot more fruit. So I'll look forward to hearing back from you. If you yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Mark. You're certainly welcome. Lou's turn. Good morning, Lou. Hey, good morning. Can you morning. hear me okay? I hear you loud and clear. Awesome. Okay, so I have a couple questions for you this morning, please. Okay. The first one, um, I was by your shop, your nursery, uh, a couple weeks back, and I bought um, the Shades of Green fertilizer, yeah. and I, I am put that down on my front lawn, which is um, St. Augustine. Right. And then it was also suggested that I buy some compost. I have some blank spots in the grass, and it was suggested I put that down as well. So I did that. And so before I do that, I mowed the grass. And then um, I have a lot of winter grass uh-huh. in my St. Augustine. And I've only lived in the house for a year. So I moved in last March. So I'm just kind of starting to see the seasonal yeah. way that the grass goes. But I've been listening this morning about grass. So I'm not going to worry about, you know, false in the grass. I'm going to wait for the spring and summer and, and see how things work out. So then I watered that in with, uh, you know, just a little shower spray from the hose. Uh-huh. Kinda, there from the top water and in. So one quick question about that is I have a live oak, an oak tree in my front yard, and mm-hmm. it's a fairly large mature. It has, you know, all those teeny weeny little hard leaves that fall to the ground. Right. And I can't seem to keep them raked up. And yesterday, you know, I work full time, and so <laughs> I barely have time to do what I need to do for me and chores and stuff. And getting out into the yard to do the yard is a challenge. Sure. And so I didn't have time to rake up the leaves a second time in two weeks. And so I, I, I mowed and uh, then put all that down and kind of watered it. Will that be okay? Will the leaves oh, that'll be, be inhibited? That'll be outstanding. I mean, Mother Nature didn't mean for you to rake the leaves. That's how nature's been building <laughs> soils for many, many years. Now, problem with live oak leaves is that they are slow to break down. When you mow over them, you're chopping them into smaller pieces, which will make them break down faster. And I don't recommend that you rake those leaves if anything um and this will only take you a few minutes but get a sprayer goes on the end of your hose and every week or two put a little molasses in that sprayer and just spray over that area where the leaves are coming down because the molasses will kick up the biological activity that breaks down the leaves uh so far as i can tell you've done everything correctly uh medina makes that fertilizer for us we love their growing green and so we went to Stuart and said hey if you were going to make it better 
what would you do? And he said, oh, I'd put a little more uh, humate, a little more green sand. So our Shades of Green Fertilizer is just kind of a, a supercharged uh, growing green fertilizer. And uh, so it's going to feed everything there. It's going to help you grass, going to help you trees, going to help your shrubs. But the leaves are really not a problem. You're doing the right thing by chopping up with your mower because that's going to make them break down faster. If you want to do one more thing, get in the habit of spraying with molasses whenever you've got 10 minutes to spare and uh, that will make those leaves break down a whole lot easier and I promise you it will take less time to spray little molasses around than it does to try to rake the leaves up so it's going to make your life a lot easier in the long run okay can I come and buy that molasses from you or you where do I get it get it from us or any good nursery okay. you could use grocery okay. store molasses but it's too blasted expensive so uh, yeah just get it from any good nursery or feed store and if you okay. don't have to work next Saturday morning our seminar next Saturday uh, 945 is going to be all about these questions about what to do about leaves what to do about weeds I will demonstrate to you it's a lot easier to do on a blackboard what makes organic fertilizer Medina's, Maestro Groves, Nature's Creation, what makes them so much better. Love to have you come join us, and I promise you, you will learn something. I would too, but I'm going to be out of town. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send you, okay, send, your, okay. yeah, send your neighbors, <laughs> send your kids, whatever, and we'll look forward to teaching them, Lou. Can I, I, I have a couple more short questions. Go right please. ahead. Go right ahead. May I? May I go ahead and and prune down almost to the ground my two little uh, fledgling lemon trees? I grew them from seeds in a pot, and I planted planted them in the backyard that faces Mm -hmm. south and east last summer. And I see some green coming out from the base, but Uh the top is all kind of dark and looks dead to me. Can I just trim all that down? You certainly. uh, You can. Uh, If 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 the bark's brown, it's probably freeze damage. I would not recommend that most people do this because most people have grafted trees. You grew yours from seeds, so we're not worrying about a rootstock sprouting out. So you go right ahead and prune. I'd do it anytime you like. Okay, cool. The other thing is I have a peach tree, and it's about three or four, about four feet tall maybe, and it's all, it has lots and lots of limbs going in every direction, but I grew that from a seed, oh man, eight, ten years ago in a pot, and mm-hmm. then last summer I put it in the ground, and it seems to be doing okay. So um, how do I, how do I uh, tend and care for that? tree well now the thing that is important to do here is you want to turn that tree into something looks like a martini glass you want it to have an open center you want the the limbs to be radiating outward rather than going straight up i want you to be able to pick fruit without having to get up on a ladder so Mm -hmm. this time you're probably going to prune it fairly severely you're probably literally going to cut the center out of the tree and encourage those limbs that radiate out like the spokes of a wheel now Mm -hmm. um is this a this peach tree was grown from a seed from a peach that came off a neighbor's tree or a tree you got at the or a peach you got at the grocery store i'm assuming uh, it it was in a pot in my parents uh backyard and when my dad and mom 
passed and the house was sold, I took those pots, and then okay. all of a sudden a tree came out of the pot. I don't know. I'm assuming it came from somebody's backyard. Well, the the I reason I ask is because grocery store peaches, peaches are very sensitive uh, as to the amount of chilling weather it takes for them to bloom and set fruit. And a peach from mm-hmm. Fredericksburg will never do well in San Antonio because they have, on average, 450 more hours of chilling weather every winter, and a peach tree won't mm-hmm. bloom until it fulfills its chilling requirement. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, mm-hmm. peaches are much different from a lemon. I only tell you this uh, because three years from now, if you're saying, why won't my tree peach tree bloom? Well, you know, what's going wrong? Mm-hmm. It may just be a tree that is not really suited to our area. So fun to grow things, okay. but don't blame yourself if this tree doesn't work out as well as you okay. had hoped. Um, if you really okay. want to grow peaches, uh, I can give you a list of peaches that will do well in the San Antonio area. And, uh, you know, Phoenix or somebody like that will have some good trees. But uh, um, you sound like somebody that wants to learn, and that's why I'm taking the time to explain Absolutely. about your yes, lemon and your yes. peach. So uh, cut this out of it uh realize that a peach tree will want much lower branches than we do on a shade tree and uh start toward making that uh martini glass uh look to it and if it does turn out to be a good productive tree it'll make it a whole lot easier for you to harvest the fruit okay one final question so my neighbors don't really take very good care of their lawn uh-huh. um, and they have this huge ant mound that has come up in their yard their front mm-hmm. yard that adjoins that slice of my front yard on that side of the driveway Uh and yesterday you know i took care of my yard with you know everything i just explained earlier so what do i do i mean i don't see any ants in my yard Mm -hmm. Uh, plenty of weeds that i had to put down but is there anything i could do to keep those from coming over here or have i already done it well the other question i want to ask you about weeds is i bought some of that um environmentally friendly powder that you can put down on weeds sure and uh i'm wondering when to put that down given that it says you're not supposed to do it when it's going to rain and we're supposed to have a 60 percent thunderstorm take, chance take it back and get your so money back question take it back and get your money back the weeds are going to die everything that's green and active now is going to die out as soon as it gets hot Mowing is all you really need to do for those weeds. Um, Fire ants, it doesn't matter that you have a mound in your neighbor's yard because at the appropriate time in their life cycle, every mound is going to make a whole bunch of new queen ants, and they're going to fly. Um, And if you get fire ant mounds started in your yard, they may have flown in from two blocks away. But chances are, later this spring, you're going to put down beneficial nematodes to stop any potential grubworm action. And that's going to kill the fire ants just as well. If you want to be proactive and put down beneficial nematodes at any point, they only live for about 60 days unless you're finding in, you know, prey to reproduce in. But any time you suspect an onslaught of fire ants, just make an application of beneficial nematodes and uh, the ants will not, not be around. Okay. Thank you so much. Hey, Have so a good Sunday. You too, Lou. I appreciate the call. Let me get a break out of the way here, and then it will be Bill and Dwight and Jeff. I get to talk about Tank Depot. don't know whether it be this week or next week I'll be headed over to Tank Depot myself. I've still got to do a little section of my new rainwater catchment guttering on one of my sheds, and uh, 
Uh, that's and I'll be over at Tank Depot. I don't just talk about the people that uh, advertise on this show. I do business with them, and that's how I know the Tank Depot offers you the best tanks out there. A tremendous selection of tanks. Uh, they're closed today, but you can always go to tank-depot.com, look at their website, and see all the different tanks that they carry. And it's not just rainwater catchment tanks. They have you know, every size, shape, you know, style of rainwater tank you could imagine. But they also have open top tanks and bait tanks and chemical tanks and transfer tanks and ah, any kind of tank you're looking for and it's all top quality it's all very reasonable priced they can certainly deliver to you that will be necessary if you're going to get some of their bigger tanks believe me because they carry monster tanks as well and when it comes to rainwater catchment they have the accessories you need as well i'll be getting one of the leaf eaters and uh couple of downspout features uh, to filter things before the water goes into my tank. I'll just keep telling you about Tank Depot because I think they're the best place around to shop for tanks. Uh, Monday through Friday, visit them over on Southeast Loop 410, just south of Rigsby Avenue. Today, check them out online at tank-depot.com. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Uh, morning, I sir. Ask you one question. I just want to ask you one question. Dollar Glass. Okay. Dallas, D-A-L-L-I-S. Have you ever heard of that? Absolutely. All right, so we got it all over the place. We're, we're out here by the Dominion area, right? And I was just wondering, uh, it's just, it's just, you know, you pull it out and it comes back. What, mm-hmm. what can you do? Anything for that? Well, it's all going to die when the weather gets hot. What you're looking at is actually probably Texas winter grass, and for most people, if it weren't for that stuff, they wouldn't have anything green in their yards yet because this is the ideal time for it to grow. It's especially prevalent this year because of all the moisture we have had, but whether you do anything or not, it's going to die out as soon as the weather starts heating up. Now, is your basic grass St. Augustine or Bermuda? What kind? Well, no, we have Bermuda. Okay, and your Bermuda is still browned out? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. If you want to kill this grass, all you really need to do is uh, make up the solution we talk about with orange oil and vinegar. You take a gallon of strong vinegar, add two ounces of orange oil to it, and a little dish uh, soap. Spray that over this uh, green grass, and it'll be dying in 15 minutes. It'll be totally dead in an hour or two. Now, be sure we're going to have a good dry day when you do this because you don't want to dilute it down. But orange oil and vinegar will do the same thing as some of the much more toxic herbicides will. But if you're going to do what I do, I just mow it down and wait. Bermuda's still a month away from really beginning to grow. Once your Bermuda starts out, it's going to choke that grass back once the weather gets hot hot uh, that stuff's going to die whether you do anything or not so my answer is just mow it but if you want to see it die if you want to you know knock it down and you're going to have more seeds sprout it's not i mean whether you pull it whether you spray it whatever you do to it believe me for every one plant you see mother nature probably has 10 seeds out there waiting to sprout so this is just a year we're going to put up with a lot of it but uh yeah you know it's. I think it's time to go ahead and use a slow-release organic fertilizer to support that Bermuda. But um, you're not alone. Everybody in town's fighting this green stuff coming up. And by the time it gets hot, it will all be gone, and all you really have to do is mow. But since your Bermuda's brown, the vinegar and orange oil will not hurt your Bermuda, but it sure will knock that uh, winter grass back uh, on its Well, on its, I, I, I fully agree with you, but what's a good, when's a good time to start putting up fertilizer on? Now. I usually do it in January. 
Now, is that the organic, or is that just the regular stuff people can buy? I don't ever buy the regular stuff people buy. I always buy the organic, which could be Medina, could be Maestro Grow, could be Nature's Creation. Yeah. Um, again, I will invite you, if you have any time free next Saturday morning, come on over. I'll explain on a blackboard, uh, which is that's what our seminar is about next Saturday, uh, what cation exchange means, why it is that when you put down that, that common stuff, as you call it, probably 90% of it goes off to pollute the aquifers instead of helping things. But with organic products, they actually bind to the soil because they have a different uh, charge to them. They they have a positive charge, whereas your synthetic fertilizers have a negative charge. Your synthetic fertilizers do not bind to the soil. 90% of it or 95% of it just washes away. That's why they are so specific that you have to use it at exactly the right time. Um, your organic fertilizers, uh, the nutrient materials there are in uh, a form that has a positive charge called an anion, it binds to organic material, binds to other things in our soils, and it sits there and your grass gets the benefit of about 100% of it instead of 5 or 10% of it. So there's really never a bad time to put out Nature's Creation or Mustard Grow or Medina or whichever good fertilizer you choose. Sun yeah, and... Can you, uh, can you get that, can you get that, Bob, at Sun Harvest probably? Um... I mean, most, most, you might be able to. Um, you can certainly. Gosh, what what part of town are you in? We're out down by the Dominion in the Leon Leon Springs area. You might want to go the other direction to uh, a Hill Country African Violets up just the side of Bernie. Um, I'm sure you could get it at Millburgers if you're in around 1604. You get it at Rainbow Gardens, you Rainbow, know, out yeah, in that. I'm sorry, I was thinking Rainbow. Yeah, I was thinking Rainbow. You have to. And uh, Stone and Soil Depot is not too terribly far away from you they're just you know like two exits on out there between uh, leon springs and fair oaks and i'm pretty certain that uh, jeff has it on uh, probably has it a real good price too out there at stone and soil depot and what is it what is the name of that stuff Bob? is medina's product they call growing green Okay, super. Well, you've been very, very helpful, and I want you to know we appreciate listening to you every day. Well, I appreciate that. If you are able to come over and join us for the seminar next uh, next Saturday morning, I can I can tell you a place where you can find lots of Medina products. <laughs> and would love to have you, Bill. I bet you do. It's called uh, Shades of Green. Isn't it? Yeah, I've heard that name before. <laughs> hey, thank you, Bob. We, hey. we appreciate it. Well, it's always a pleasure. Appreciate you guys. All right, back to the phone lines. It's going to be Dwight and Steve, and Dwight is up first. Good morning, Dwight. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. A couple of quick questions. Uh, one, uh, my wife and I live on about half an acre. It's in the middle of uh, about a 100-acre ranch. Okay. Uh, east of town in the Sand Hill area. Yes, sir. You familiar with those? Yes, sir. Uh, and we've been fighting these cut ants. Mm-hmm. These 20 years we've lived here, um, these cutter ants. And she's been treating with different types of poisons and the sulfur, um, where we look for the little nests and put a cup full of sulfur on and try watering it in. But we always have another one pop up a few feet away. And with one master nest, I suppose we've, we've got them scattered all around, you know, the area. Um, some of them have like 20 or 25 different mounds in a 15 or 20 foot radius. Well, and some they, some of these 
many times what you're having is one giant underground chamber with a lot of different openings because the ants, of course, don't eat the leaves. They cut those leaves, they haul them down underground, and then they feed on the fungus that grows on the leaves. I'm having people you know, tell me different things and what seems to work for one person um, just doesn't do it for others. <laughs> had somebody tell me their chickens had totally cleaned out their fire ant mound, or their fire ant, their cut ant mound. Um, probably the most consistent results I'm hearing are with the live beneficial nematodes, the ones that come on a little blue sponge. But there are there's a heck of a lot of money being spent. There are people a lot smarter than me that are working on it, and even the toxic chemical guys have not been able to control them. This is a multi-million, if not a multi-billion dollar problem in the lumber, the piney woods of East Texas and throughout the southern United States. So nobody's got a real good answer. Now, Sandy Oaks Olive Orchard is making their own bait. You might call them and get a little sample of that. It's based on cloves and some other things. And what are they going after um, that, uh, what are, what kind of plants are they causing you problems with, Dwight? Well, virtually any type of landscape plants we uh, plant is. Okay. Uh, crepe myrtles are one big aggravation. Uh, they pretty much shred those just overnight, uh, one by one. Um, uh, yeah, any anything any anything that has a woody trunk, um, and it could be a multi-trunk crepe myrtle, it could be a tree, they love a lot of trees, you can stop them totally by, you don't want to put it directly on the bark, but wrap either a piece of plastic wrap or a piece of aluminum foil around the bark mm-hmm. and put about an inch-wide, two-inch-wide band of this stuff called Tanglefoot. Uh, it's virtually weatherproof. One application will last you for months and months, and the ants cannot go across it. And yeah, we we work with that too. But yeah, uh, there are other. Uh, I did plan on doing some sulfur. I bought a bunch of it to to put out, but I wanted to make sure I was applying it right. Well, first of all, nests. yeah. First of all, be sure that you're getting what they call wettable sulfur. It is usually sold as sulfur 50W. It's a little different. It's a little stronger than the ordinary powdered sulfur. And it also goes into suspension, not into solution, but into suspension in water. And what you want to do is dust that mound area. Anywhere anywhere you see the openings, um, you'll normally see an area that can be 8 to 12 feet in diameter where there's just not much vegetation, looks like just bare dirt. Right. And underneath that is where this chamber is going to be um, that you that the ants are taking and storing those leaves. So you want to put maybe 5 or 10 pounds of sulfur over that area and then either wait for it to rain or water it in good. And what happens is it this carries it down into the chamber. The sulfur acts as a fungicide kills the fungus that the ants are feeding on, and at least a reasonable percentage of the time will get rid of the ants. Now, since you're, I'm going to tell you one non-organic thing that you can try, and, um, you know, again, I <laughs> I wouldn't suggest this if, if cut ants weren't such a desperate problem, but what I've also known people to do is to move out to the top center of that chamber area Take a piece of, say, half-inch pipe or a piece of rebar or whatever and poke down into the ground. You'll feel that 
uh, bar go down and you'll all of a sudden you'll feel it break into the opening where the chamber is. Then you can go to the grocery store and get one of these room foggers, which I would never use in my home, but which uh, are not that you know, not that bad. Uh, turn it upside down, set it off, put a plastic garbage bag or something over the top so that all those fumes are channeled down into that underground chamber. Do it in the middle of the day when most all the ants are in. Cut ants operate more at night than during the day. And, you know, even though that's not an organic control, it's not terribly destructive. I'd have people tell me they got real good luck trying that. Now, on the sulfur, uh, if we water this in, how long would you expect to see results? About two weeks. Uh, Uh, Yeah, a couple of weeks. How much water? Just uh, run a sprinkler overnight, or would it be... Well, as you uh, described, you're in the or, you're uh, in the sand hills, so uh, the water's going to penetrate more quickly than it would for me in the hill country. Um, so, applying one to two inches of water, uh, which probably okay. means running a sprinkler for a couple of hours, is probably going to be adequate. Okay, and just dust it, not try to apply each different opening. Oh no, no, I you, you're not concerned with the openings; you're concerned with the cafeteria, so to speak. One, one other quick question. Yeah. We, are you familiar with the hickory trees we have out here? Yeah. Native hickories? Yeah. Uh, near the house that uh, have a split in them. Uh-huh. I suspect maybe the lightning can hit them at some point. But the inside of uh, the tree is the bark is, or um, core of it starting to rot out. Okay. My wife's concerned it's going to be, be damaged to the house if it falls. and uh, But the outer... Okay, your phone's cutting out on you. The outer what? Uh, the outer part of the tree is still intact, and it's green. And uh, is there any big concern with that, or is most of the strength in the outer trunk of the tree, or is it? You know, I had this discussion with uh, David Vaughn, who's an arborist that I really, really respect. And work done by, you know, some of the big arborist organizations indicates that that tree tree still retains probably 70 to 80 percent of its structural integrity that doesn't mean you shouldn't be concerned that doesn't mean you should not have a qualified arborist not just a guy with a chainsaw who wants to take your money but get a good arborist to look at that and tell you if there are concerns and you know they're not all trees the central core of the tree is a tissue called xylem the cells have no nuclei it basically is a dead tissue that is susceptible to rot now trees have their own defensive system i won't call it an immune system but when they get a problem started the tree does something that we call compartmentalize the problem it starts walling off the area where the problem is and a hollow tree I would sure not worry about it if it were in a pasture. I probably wouldn't worry about it if it was near a garage, unless I own a very expensive car, which I don't. I would always be a little concerned about your home, and I definitely think it would be worth taking a look at. Uh, A good arborist may recommend reducing the weight on the area where you have noticed uh, you know, some deterioration going on. Uh, there are things that certainly can be done to strengthen the tree, to make it less likely to be damaging. But when I look at the size of limbs that occasionally fall out of my pecan trees and things like that, um, 
I'm certainly not going to pinch my, pitch my tent underneath them. So I, I can't tell you without yep. seeing, and if, even if I could see it, I would send you to uh, somebody who knows more about it than I do. I can tell you that's fairly normal for a big old hickory tree, but um, I, I will reassure you in that the tree still remains a, retains a huge amount of its structural strength, but I'd still tell you to get somebody to take a look at it and see how far the damage has progressed and give you a little bit better insight as to uh, the probability of a problem, if that makes sense. Yes, sir. Thanks so much for your time. You know, it's always a pleasure.